Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. So we leave you for five days and the Rockets literally fall apart. And this show will look at some huge decisions they've got to make. Plus that loser Eric Bieniemy got his guys blown out in the Super Bowl. Yeah, the Texans dodged a bullet. That's right. I said it. Uh, joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, Cal McNair is a genius. He avoided disaster. We didn't get that loser Eric Bieniemy on this team. Well, some other people could twist that around and say, well, it's the Texans' fault that the Chiefs lost the Super Bowl because Eric Bieniemy was so upset that he didn't get hired. So, <laughs> you know, somebody could turn that around and just blame the Texans because they're blaming, you know, they're getting blamed for everything else, right? Yeah, that's true. I guess that's another way to look at it. You know, the, the Chiefs, I was watching the game, the Chiefs, Biggest fear was realized that mass unit O-line got destroyed by Tampa's fantastic front four. You know what, though, Stephen? I thought Deshaun and David Carr got to be watching this and getting a little PTSD, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and it just shows, Robert, that, you know, no matter how great you are, when you get in the big situation, you find out who's human and who's not. And Tom Brady proves that, I guess, at least in this game and in... Six others, you know, he he was not human. I mean, the, the guy is superhuman. And Patrick Mahomes, and and, and I'll tell you the truth, I, I was rooting for the Chiefs, but I just had this bad feeling inside, uh, bad, I guess, if you're a Texans fan and you don't cheer for Tom Brady, that Tom Brady was going to get his, regardless of how well he has played or not played. You know, really, he hadn't played well in the postseason, but when it all counts, you know, that's what the great ones do. They come through in the biggest game of the year. Yeah, we're going to spend as little time as we can talking about that Brady guy. Uh, I've, I've I've had all I can take of him, but I do want to, you know, from a Houston angle, I want to congratulate Galveston Balls, Mike Evans, and the Woodlands, Antoine Winfield Jr., a couple of local kids. Made good, Stephen. Yeah, they certainly did. And I, I also, I have a personal connection with one of their linebackers, Levante David. No, he's not from Houston. But uh, I had a chance to interview Levante several years ago for an online publication that I was working for at the time. And and I really, I, I just enjoyed the perspective that he offered. You know, here's a guy that, you know, he, he grew up in a poor side of town and he's one that gives back to his community. Very class guy. Um, one story he told me I thought was pretty entertaining when he was six years old. Uh, he begged and whined and cried to his parents to play football. And his dad finally told him, all right, look, you're going to do this, but I don't want to hear anything out of you if things get tough and you want to quit. He says, you you need to go in there, give it all you got, and best of all, have fun. And that's what he's done ever since. And and I just I was real happy to see that at least, you know, he won a Super Bowl ring because I, I felt like he's a very deserving guy. He's a, he's a class act. He gives back. He has a. He was involved in Big Brothers Big Sisters in the Miami area, and uh, did a, a school supply drive around the time that I interviewed him. So, and a little personal connection there with one of their linebackers. So that was kind of neat to see that he got a ring. Yeah, and if you if you have any idea about Levante David, or if you if you have no idea who Levante David was, I should say, he was the guy draped all, all over Travis Kelsey, Stephen. That that was the guy. Yeah, he he was the guy. He he definitely did a good job on Kelsey. And uh, he was one of the captains that came out for the coin flip, too. 
and uh, he broke up a pass. So, yeah, he's not a what you would call a well-known name, but he's been with the Bucks for several years and certainly made his contribution in the Super Bowl. I'm going to be honest here. It's kind of depressing to watch the Super Bowl. I'm closing in on 50 years old. My team has never made it or played in a Super Bowl period. The last time they were in a conference title game, I was eight years old. Eight years old. And for the first time in my lifetime, they look like they have a top three QB, but their owner is such a buffoon that they're about to be forced to trade that top three quarterback. Steven, it's not looking like you and I will see a Super Bowl in our lifetime. So watching the game is just awful now. Well, especially when it turns out it's not a good game. I mean, I'll be honest, Robert. I'll, I'll just go ahead and admit this publicly on the podcast that uh, toward the end of the third quarter and part of the fourth quarter, I actually dozed off in my chair. I was so bored by that point because it, it was obvious that the, the game was was pretty much in hand. Yeah, the Chiefs have been known to come back, but you just didn't get the sense it was going to happen. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I was in high school. I think I was a senior in high school the last time a Houston pro football team made it even as far as an AFC championship game. But I remember feeling that way about the Astros, you know, in the back-to-back-to-back 100 loss seasons and going, man, am I ever, am I going to live long enough to see this team win a World Series? Well, they did. And of course, even that turned out bad. So I don't know. Sometimes, Robert, we just can't win for losing when it comes to championships in Houston. Yeah, you're you're older than I am, so it's it's probably ten years, maybe nine years, whatever it is now, more frustrating for you than it is for me. And hey, the Texans, you know, they added a new quarterback coach, Ben McDaniel's, to their staff or assistant quarterback. Co- I don't know exactly if he's the full-on quarterbacks coach. He's but an assistant QB coach, right. Yeah, his brother, though, Josh McDaniels, you might have heard of that name before. He coached uh, this year's Super Bowl MVP, so that's exciting, right? We, we got it We got it right here. Yeah, we, we got it right here. And, uh, you know, even a, a former Texan, uh, Tyron Matthew, he, he was making his presence known in the game, too. It's kind of interesting, but you, you kind of knew that where there's – where there's action, Tyron Matthews going to be. But yeah, Ben McDaniels now part of the Texans. So uh, some of that Super Bowl feeling rubbing off on there, you know, would, would take all what we can get with the Texans. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't even want to talk about the the team chaplain potentially firing. I don't. Well, they got fired. I'm saying him as the guy that potentially fired up, but I, I'm pretty sure it's him. The guy that's gone into the building and fired some more people that literally have nothing to do with how good or bad the team has been. Just guys that work for the Texans lifers. And I mean, it's just, I don't want to talk about that, but I, I did notice that next year's Super Bowl odds are on the board, Steven. And the two teams who share the longest odds are a hundred to one care to take a guess who those two teams are. Uh, the Texans and the Jets, maybe there you go. The mighty Texans are a hundred to one. It's only a hundred. <laughs> Are you, are you? I thought maybe it'd be a thousand if you're coming to the Texans. Yeah, it, it's so disgusting. You know, I, to get off a, a little bit on on you know, as I watched the Super Bowl, Stephen, I, I I got a chance to cover a couple of them, and you know, it's for me, it was an incredible experience. Did, have I talked about this on the on the podcast before? I know I talked about it on Locked On Texans once, I believe. I don't know if you've talked about it on this podcast, but I know you and I have had conversations off the air. Uh, that that you covered a couple of Super Bowls, and I think you you tweeted out a, a video that I, I think is on YouTube the other day. Uh, some of your experiences. Yeah, I, I covered the Super Bowl with the Rams 
and the Titans. And it was a weird experience for a zillion reasons. Ooh, I but bet. I was, I was in Memphis at the time. I was covering the Titans, but really we hadn't covered the Titans all year. Memphis was upset because the Houston Oilers used Memphis as a pit stop. That's right. And that did not go over well in Memphis. And so I, at the last second, after not going to one game all season, they send me to Jacksonville for the AFC championship game. Remember it was the Jags and the Titans. It's about, God, it's, it's over 20 years now, a little over 20 years. And the Titans win. We go up to Marcus Robertson and the game's over with, and I'm with my sports anchor and, and he doesn't know the whole story necessarily, but I ask Marcus Robertson. I personally ask him with the, you know, I'm shooting video and my, my anchor's holding the microphone. And I said, uh, Marcus, it's, it's gotta be weird. You know, you, you were with the Oilers for all those years and, you know, just to, to go to a Super Bowl not in Houston after playing for that team in Houston for all those years. And I'll never forget what he said. He, he said, uh, you know, I, I hope the people in Houston know this is for them too. Wow, what a, what a class act that is. So I, I, we go to the Super Bowl. Now remember, all the Houston people are following along. All the Houston media are following along. So I'm, I'm running into like Mark Berman and... You know, just everybody is is uh, in the Houston media is there, and there's all these people that I grew up with because I'm still relatively young at the time. I'm I think I'm in my late 20s at this point, so it's all these people that I grew up with. So we go to the Super Bowl. There's only a week off between the two games, not the typical two weeks. So we didn't get there in time because we had to come back to Memphis, and then now what do we do? Because we weren't expecting them to go to the Super Bowl. They're like, oh yeah, you got to, you guys got to go cover the Super Bowl. So we missed the Tuesday big media day. So that, that sucked, but it was, I mean, it was just a whirlwind and to still be covering the Super Bowl. So then you go out and, and I'm actually shooting the, I didn't think this would ever happen. I'm shooting the game out on the field. Steven mentioned it. I shot the game winning touchdown. Isaac Bruce came right at me in the corner of the end zone. If you remember, Isaac Bruce wow. caught the long pass with a little over two minutes to go from Kurt Warner. Then they go back down the field that the Titans do. And then at the goal line, Mike Jones stops him at the half. I'm literally shooting at the goal line when Mike Jones stuffs the wide receiver. I'm blanking on his name, but stuffs him at the goal line. Mike Jones was a guy that I had covered because uh, he was at the University of Missouri where I was. I'd covered him a few years ago as a running back he has now transitioned over to a linebacker in the nfl and has just made the game-winning touchdown in the super bowl and there's just all sorts of weird things that i remember about the game steven you know back in those days remember this was pre 9 11 I, I left my bag my backpack and everything out on the field at halftime oh yeah you couldn't do that after 9 11 that's for sure it's, it's amazing how much time has passed since then what was it the it was the 99 Super Bowl, right? No, no, no. I think it was, I want to say it was 2000. Yeah, it's probably the 2000 Super Bowl, the 99 season, I think. I think you're right. Yeah, correct. So I come out and I left my bag, you know, on the sideline so I could save a spot in case it got really crowded on the sideline. And out there next to my backpack as I walk back to my spot is Steve Young and Chris Berman. They're having a conversation with each other. Oh, wow. <laughs> so if one of them had stolen your backpack, you could have said, hey, I, I actually had my backpack stolen by Steve Young or Chris Berman. And <laughs> yeah, probably wouldn't be a good feeling, but it would at least be a memory. But, you know, those, those are great memories, Robert. And those are things that can never be taken away from you. And can you imagine 
you know, what, what it's, what is like covering this year's Super Bowl with COVID and just, just all the weird stuff going on, how people are going to look back on that 10, 20 years from now as what this Super Bowl was. If Chris Berman steals my backpack, should I run after him, say, bring it back, 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 back. Or you could just stand there and said, <laughs> he could go all the way, you know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the the other thing, I, I mean, it just, there's all these weird things. So after the game, after the Titans and the Rams game, the confetti comes down on the field, you're going to look for interviews. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. Isn't that Gloria Rubin walking around? I mean, I'm trying to remember hey. the different celebrities, but I was a big ER fan at the time. It was a great show. I mean, the first few years of that show was, were fantastic. And I'm like, wait, that's Gloria Rubin. And, but you, you know, Stephen, when you're there and you're doing this, you, you know, you don't have time to like, even think you're like, you, you see that for like a second. You're like, I need to lock that away. And then we got to go chase after, you know, whether it was, uh, Steve McNair or whoever we were, whatever interview we were going after, or whoever we were trying to get. I, I just remember it was craziness as soon as the game's over with. Well, the, the whole experience is craziness. I mean, that whole week is a madhouse. I know I've, I, I haven't had the luxury of covering a Super Bowl like you have Robert, but you know, I, I certainly know people who have, and I, I've tuned into a lot of the coverage, you know, during the week. And it, it's an experience, obviously, you know, like covering the World Series or, uh, you know, Wimbledon or, you know, the, the big events every year. It's just something that can never be taken away from you once you've experienced it. The other thing about it, and I just mentioned it with Gloria Rubin, it's just the the celebrity sightings. So the, the one in Houston back in 04, this was great because i didn't really have to do much of anything i was covering this for fox sports new england but they didn't have me doing much throughout the entire game so you know i walk into the stadium there's david robinson signing autographs outside of nrg stadium nice guy david robinson of course you know signing autographs for the fans and i get in and i'm seeing kid rock on a golf cart i walk by jay-z i see p diddy walking in the bowels of the stadium to wherever i i I'm looking for celebs because literally they're like, what should I do? Well, we don't have anything for you to do right now. So I'm just looking around. The game starts. I can't get, I try to sneak onto the field, but my press pass is not a pass that, that gets me on the field. So I, I, I have to go to the media room. I go to the media room, you know, I have a conversation with Biff Henderson uh, from David Letterman. If Letterman fans will know who that is. But I, I also, I remember speaking with uh, Maria Menuno sitting across from her at a table, speaking with her. And she's wearing a Tom Brady jersey, a, a New England Patriots. Hmm. Remember that was this was Brady was in the Super Bowl, but he's she's wearing media member of <laughs> whatever you want to call Maria Menounos Entertainment Tonight is wearing a Tom Brady jersey. And then the craziest hmm. thing happens: it's halftime. I go out into the bowels and like you know the the vomitorium. I don't know what you would call it, but the, underneath the stadium. And I'm just kind of looking for people, Stephen. And I look left, I look right, I look left a little too long. And when I look right, directly in front of me, and I got my camera, you know, with me, directly in front of me is Janet Jackson. And at that moment, she turns because I'm right near the entrance where you walk out of the tunnel on onto the stadium. And I said to her, Stephen, and I'll never forget, I said, Don't do it, Janet. Don't do it. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, <laughs> it would have been great if you had you, you, that that would have probably made some headlines if there had been social media back then. It was it was crazy because if I had turned a little bit sooner, I would have had a picture and, you know, I could have gotten it on like 
you know, maybe TMZ at the time, because I know TMZ was still a, a deal back then. And, and I, I would have right. been a little bit richer after that, don't you think? You very well might have. That that photo could easily have made you some money and set you for life, especially what happened after you saw Janet Jackson. Yeah, and my my sister was there because she had won Super Bowl tickets on the radio. She had d- done this thing where you had to call in, remember all these numbers during the week, and oh, she yeah. calls in. Yeah. So she's there, and you know, of course, none of us that are there have any idea what's going on. This is pre cell phones, so we're not looking at notifications, uh, news items, whatever. So you don't know what happens till after I was driving home and they're talking about wardrobe malfunction and all the, or whatever they described it at that point in time. But it, it, it was nuts to think that I saw like Janet Jackson just as she was making Super Bowl history. Oh, the memories, the memories, how wonderful they are. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, you know, what wasn't fun was uh, what happened to the Houston teams after you and I talked, Stephen. I hate to say it, but. I, th- I think we jinxed the Rockets and the Cougars. Uh, sure looks that way. I couldn't help but think that. Because wasn't at the very night when we recorded that podcast that the Rockets had their six-game winning streak snap. And then the worst possible thing that could happen, Christian Wood gets hurt. He's going to be out for a while. So, you know, the, the Rockets have won since then. So it's not like we're over since the last podcast. But, yeah, how things have changed. And then the Cougars lose. I, uh, amazingly enough, they lose in a weird way. Yeah, they come back and win by, I don't know, 75 points to an NAIA team or something. But, uh, you know, and Robert, all we were trying to do is pass along a little, you know, happiness and joy and, and good feelings and good vibes. And this is what we get for it. You know, I I, I, I got to go through these chain of events because here's the way it happened. We We throw heaps of praise on Wednesday that night. Rockets get killed by the Thunder. Cougars, like you said, get beat by a not very good East Carolina team. These two teams are not good, the Thunder and East Carolina. The next night is the Christian Wood injury. He gets wheelchaired off the court. Then they lose again on Saturday. That's what we get for being positive, Stephen. What can you say? Yeah, I, I guess the the basketball gods, I was about to say the NBA gods, but yeah, I went into college. The, the basketball gods just don't uh, appreciate us heaping praise. I guess that they think it's their job or something. I don't know. All right. I want to get to a couple things with the Rockets because uh, there's some, some major stuff happening right now uh, that we got to look at towards the future. Let's start with Victor Oladipo, who's not playing well as you and I speak Monday morning. You know, he's somebody that's shooting 38.7% from the field and less than 30% from three as a Houston Rocket. You know, Steven, I thought the Rockets traded for veteran Oladipo, not rookie Oladipo. Did he go through some sort of time machine on his way from Indiana to Houston? Boy, I got to wonder. I mean, I know he's you know still coming back from the injury and all that, but I, I just don't know if it's that so much or a lack of focus. I mean, he's played pretty good defensively, though. He's he's made improvements on the Rockets' defense, but you really need him to shoot a whole lot better than that. You know, and, and the thing that I was worried about, Robert, when they made the trade for him, and I even mentioned this on the podcast, is that if this is the main guy that you're getting for James Harden, he's on the final year of his contract. You know, if he walks, then you basically got nothing but draft picks for James Harden, and that's that. I mean, I'm even hearing rumblings that uh, maybe they could trade him before the March 25th trade deadline, and all this weird stuff is coming out about Victor Oladipo. 
And as you said, he's not playing well as of late. Yeah, off the top, I said there's big decisions for the Rockets, huge decisions here. You, you said it. All you're getting are, the, are those draft picks. You don't know what, what that's going to be about. That's a wish and a prayer. The biggest decision with Oladipo, and it's making it hard because uh, he doesn't look like a guy you want to invest in. He's the biggest decision that they're going to have to make, Stephen. And here's the problem. When you look at dealing him or even P.J. Tucker, none of the playoff teams who'd be more likely interested in, in those two guys – None of them, or most of them, don't have draft capital. Think about this. The Clippers, remember, they traded everything for Paul George and Kawhi. The Lakers, same thing for Anthony Davis. Uh, Milwaukee for Drew Holiday. Uh, the Nets, we know what they, they've got left. Uh, the Miami Heat don't have a lot of draft capital. The Blazers, uh, look at the Blazers. Uh, they just gave up their first-round pick to us. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. The Jazz, have, they gave, a, I think, a first-round pick for Mike Conley. The Mavs don't have a first-round pick because of the Porzingis deal, and that's looking pretty bad. In other words, all these teams that you want fighting for a P.J. Tucker or Oladipo that might be interested in him down the street, because, you know, bad teams aren't going to want those guys because they're last year of a contract and they're veteran guys. They're not going to be interested because they're empty cupboards, basically. They don't have anything to, to trade for. Well, that's right. And it's not only the draft capital, but you're not going to get a great player in return for somebody like Oladipo or Tucker. So not only are the draft picks going to be lower if you make that kind of a deal, but you're, you're not going to get something comparable that you could say indirectly was what you get from the James Harden trade is that you, you trade an Oladipo and get another great player. So yeah, the, the Rockets are, are kind of in a foxhole. They, they can't really get out because of this. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks if they do try to deal him. And and then, you know, are you going to want to sign a guy long-term with the way he's playing right now and just not sure what you're going to get on that investment? I'm not sure that I would. Remember the name Taylor Horton Tucker. Taylor Horton Tucker, not P.J. Tucker with the Lakers. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker. Uh, he's 20 years old, restricted free agent. There are teams that consider him somebody with star potential. So maybe the Rockets think, eh, we don't want to invest 25, 30 million in Victor Oladipo. And right now he doesn't look like he's worth that investment. Maybe we want to put it in somebody like Horton Tucker. You could put a poison pill in on the Lakers because they're, they're kind of jammed. They got a lot of guys under contract and he's somebody out there that if you're the Rockets and you know what you did with Christian Wood, maybe, maybe that's somebody you, you keep an eye on Steven. Yeah, that is definitely a player I would keep my eye on. And that's the thing about, you know, when you get close to the trade deadline, you know, what what kind of buyouts are you going to get? There, there are players that are available that you don't think about until the trade deadline gets here. And he's one of those guys that the Rockets certainly could take a look at. And then I'm sure there will be a few others along the line once you get to that point. And I believe the trade deadline is March 25th. So it'll be next month at some point. I, I, I still believe the Rockets are going to make some kind of a move between now and the postseason, especially with what they're up against right now with Christian Wood being out and then what you do with Oladipo. And I'm going to throw out another big decision that they, they're going to have to make besides the Oladipo. Do you go out and, and try to get somebody that can help you in the long term this year? Do you start looking at, hey, maybe we can trade some of that draft capital that we just got and go grab somebody um, that's something that the, the Rockets seriously have to consider um, because, look, they need some actual 
size on the roster. Did you notice that, Stephen? They're they're kind of short again. Well, yeah, it's back. It's like we're going to be back to the small ball because you've got Demarcus Cousins starting, but you know beyond him, it's just another small ball lineup. So we just thought we were getting rid of small ball Robert, but now with Christian Wood being out, Demarcus Cousins is your big guy and. He's not going to play 48 minutes every game, so he's going to have to come out, and you really have to pray that he stays healthy. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to have a very small lineup in there. So if you're the Rockets, you're not necessarily looking for that big guy that's a short-term fix. You're looking for somebody that you can put alongside a Christian Wood over the next two and a half years that you have Christian Wood as your as your center, I guess. Basically, there are two players. I'm going to give you a couple of names. Two players on the market. The, the, and the next month, I think these two guys are both coming on the market. Both of them, 6'9", 6'10". Uh, they're free agents at the end of the year, early to mid-20s. So they're young guys. They can grow with Christian Wood. Both of them with athleticism. They can knock down the three at 40%. I'm talking about John Collins with the Hawks and Laurie Markinen with the Bulls. You could deal for them, but you better have a good wink-wink deal with their agents because you don't want to give up real draft choices if you can't keep those guys. They're all th- also both on cheap rookie deals, so it shouldn't be hard to match salaries. What do you think about those guys? Yeah, I, I haven't seen much of uh, the Hawks player, but Markinen is a good player. I, I would love to have him on the team. And let's not forget, as, as, as I can remember, DeMarcus Cousins is only on a one-year deal, so you got to think about that going forward. That you know, even if he does stay healthy and plays well, are you going to resign him next season? So somebody like Markinen or another guy like him, they've they've got to look long term at the very least to keep that depth going when Christian Wood does come back, not just this year but down the road. Right, and you make a great point. the The Boogie Cousins deal is just a year, and you know I I just think he's somebody that is not a long term answer because he just doesn't look like he's going to get that athleticism back at all. One thing you can do with the Collins or Markinen deal, this is something else I was thinking. You can make it a three-teamer. So basically, P.J. Tucker pretty much matches the salaries of those two guys. And those two teams not looking for a P.J. Tucker. So you could send P.J. to a Philly or Miami, for example, a couple of teams that might really covet P.J. Tucker. And then that team could send a contract to one of the team's the Bulls in the in the Heat with those two guys, along with the draft pick. That way, you give up a little bit less draft capital because you got another team in helping you out. And if for some reason you're not sure you can re-sign them, you haven't given up nearly enough. But like I said, I, I think if you go after those guys, you're going to have to have something set up with the agent saying, okay, is this number okay? Is this number of years okay? Whatever. And Collins and Markin and Look, they've got holes in their games. They're they're guys that um, are available for a reason. There's questions about them defensively, but both of them are really interesting offensive guys, and they're young, and they've been with teams that really have not been all that good overall and all that good defensively overall. So maybe as they age, Stephen, they get better defensively, and you can you know feel good about bringing those guys in and just having some again. Having somebody taller than 6'6", it's a big deal when you get into the playoffs. Well, that's what I was about to say is that these guys still have upside, and you're looking to provide depth. I mean, you're looking at Christian Wood as your main guy moving forward, 
in the long haul. So one of these guys that comes in could certainly provide that depth and they can grow with the team. They'll be on a good team, hopefully. <laughs> the Rockets will remain a, a good, solid team. And and that, that has upside. And it, it wouldn't surprise me at all that P.J. Tucker is traded at the trade deadline. I, I still maintain that could certainly happen. And, you know, the beauty of NBA trades is you can get a third or a fourth team involved. That that happens quite a bit. We saw it with the James Harden trade. So, yeah, I think you're right. It, it would have to be something like maybe a three-team deal to get a, something like that done. And, yeah, moving forward with either one of those guys, you want to try to wrap them up long-term if you're going to make a deal like that. I would say it's a bigger surprise if P.J. Tucker doesn't get traded. It's, it's a huge yeah, surprise. Absolutely. Um, you know, last week, you and I were in our positive – Ville, you know, land of fairy or whatever. And I was seeing maybe a little progress in the offense, what I said last week, but these last three games, it's more of the issues I've had most of the season. The Silas offense it, at times looks incredibly similar to D'Antoni's offense, Steven. And when the threes fall, they look great. They look great, but <laughs> I'm still seeing little ball movement. It's EG or wall or Gordon trying to beat their guys off the dribble. Not enough passing and not enough off-ball movement for me. Yeah, and this is something I know we've talked about it a lot. And and my biggest gripe, Robert, is that the Rockets just, they have got to do better in the first quarter. You know, the, the Chiefs, when we're talking about comeback teams, you know how many times the Chiefs came back from being behind. And I remember before the Super Bowl, I was thinking, man, I, I wish the Rockets could uh, drink some of the Chiefs' Kool-Aid if they're going to be behind and know how to come back. Well, the Chiefs didn't come back in the Super Bowl, but that that's something the Rockets need to do is they just need to get off to better starts in the first quarter. So many things would change if they could just get that momentum early. And yeah, you know, basketball is a sport of streaks. I get that. But so many of the games that the Rockets have lost, they've had to fight their way back. And, you know, a couple of times they've come back and, and taken care of business, but more often than not, they fall short. And, you know, they're, they're near the bottom as far as offense in the first quarter, they have been all season long, and they're not as good defensively in the first quarter either. So they've just got to shore up getting off to better starts and then try to maintain that throughout the game and make the offense more consistent. And I'll speak to that and connect it to P.J. Tucker because it looks to me like the biggest problem early in games is the offense. And P.J. Tucker with Jay Sean Tate, and I like Jay Sean Tate, but he's not necessarily – a really good offensive option. And now you've got no Christian Wood to go to early in the game. So it's John Wall and a struggling Victor Oladipo. So if I'm the Rockets, I consider taking P.J. Tucker out of the lineup to start the game, get some more offense in, whether it's Eric Gordon. I like Eric Gordon coming off the bench. I would prefer to bring in somebody like a Daniel House or, or something like that. But somebody who can create their own offense for themselves maybe get you going a little bit early in games. I love PJ Tucker in the fourth quarter because he makes big plays. All those little plays that you need late in games, he makes. But early in game, PJ Tucker, not so much. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I, I certainly like Eric Gordon coming off the bench more. And, and I like the fact that he is at least driving to the basket more to some extent, which is what I've been wanting him to do for the longest time. But yeah, I think a lot of the problem is just the options that you have or, or don't have with some of the guys being out, you know, and it's been this way all season long. Somebody has been out, a major player, either with an injury or, or some other thing going on. So it's just, it's really tough 
to develop that kind of consistency. But the ball movement, the hustle, the energy, you know, when, when that was going on, the Rockets were winning. And now you're starting to see them kind of slide back into some of those old habits. Well, uh, nothing much good happened with the Rockets this past week. The Astros, not a whole lot to report, but they did get the Korea contract done for this year, which was going to be done. I mean, they just got it done outside of arbitration. But to me, the bigger deal, Stephen, is that the signs keep coming out from Correa and James Click that those guys are working on a deal. They're working on a deal. They're working on a deal. That's that's good to hear. Well, that's what I keep hearing, and, and I hope so, Robert, because history is not on our side in the Jim Crane ownership. If you're talking about letting somebody like Correa go to free agency and then trying to get him back, it hasn't happened with Springer. It didn't happen with Garrett Cole. You know, the deals that have taken place with Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, those deals were signed while they were still under contract. So if you want to keep Correa, you got to hope that they get a deal done this year because this is it. It's his last year. So, you know, here's hoping that they can and they can at least keep that infield completely intact and that you don't see somebody like a Carlos Correa walking. But I, I still I, I just don't know. You know, I, I want to see him put another full season together like what he had in the shortened season. And I'm just not sure. I'm I'm still just not sure on the long haul, Robert, you know, how Correa is going to play out if he signs a big deal like that. Is it going to be worth it for the Astros? Are we just a week or two out of training camp? Is, isn't this about the time pitchers and catchers report in about a week? Well, it's supposed to be. You know, they've been going back and forth about a, just, you know, delaying the season. And, of course, the Players Union voted down a proposal by the owners to uh, have a shortened season, 154 game. We're talking about eight games difference here. It's it's like the old baseball, you know, before they went to 162 years ago, 154 season extended playoffs. Players didn't want that. So at this moment, Robert, as we are recording this, yeah, I think later this month, you're going to start seeing pitchers and catchers reporting and spring training getting underway very soon. Yeah, I mean, it's it'd be nice if the weather was going to be getting closer to that, but it's it's supposed to be getting pretty cold here in the next uh, week or so in Houston. In the next few days, it's going to start chilling a little bit. We're going to have temps in the 30s, so it doesn't, it doesn't exactly feel like baseball weather. But Well, that's why you go to Florida and Arizona to get out of that when it's, you know, 30-something degrees, and yet it's much better in those places. You can get spring training going there, and by the time the season starts, the, the, the weather, you know, the good thing is with Houston, you've got a roof stadium, so the weather's not going to matter so much. Last thing I got is uh, we got a lot of sports figures, major sports figures that we're losing, uh, passing away in the last you know year. Uh, it seems every week we got somebody new. This week we lost Olympic gold medalist and former heavyweight champ Leon Spinks, who once beat Muhammad Ali. People might remember him. He had the, the gap in his tooth was the big trademark for Leon Spinks. And we also lost... Tennis Hall of Famer Tony Trabert, who lived to the ripe old age of, of 90. So, you know, Leon Spinks was was relatively young, uh, close to 60, I believe. But Trabert, 90 years old, won five Grand Slam titles. Also, one of my favorite tennis broadcasters. Stephen, such a class announcing pair with him and Pat Summerall back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I certainly remember the name Tony Trabert. And, you know, the thing about Leon Spinks is, unfortunately, he didn't capitalize on his fame in a positive way. You know, they did have a rematch, I believe, a couple of years later, and Muhammad Ali beat him, and Muhammad was, he was way past his prime, and he, he beat him on points. But Leon Spinks, he, I know he had some DUI convictions and some other problems with the law and just 
from his personal life. So unfortunately, he, you know, he did shock the world. I, I remember that fight. I was in high school and I watched that fight when he beat Muhammad Ali. Couldn't believe it like so many other people. But uh, yeah, just sad that we've lost, gosh, two more people. I mean, every week on our podcast, we're, we're talking about somebody, Robert. And that's just, I mean, it, it is the way life is. It, you know, we're all going to go at some point. But it just gets depressing when you hear one after another after another every week. You know, going back to Tony Trabert, he would have won a bunch more Grand Slams. But back in his day, you would turn pro, and that meant that you couldn't compete in the Slams. It's weird. Yeah, you know, and I always forget that. Um, I, and I don't follow tennis as closely as you do, but I do remember that, that there, there was a point that if you were a pro, you couldn't play in the Slams. I mean, how crazy does that sound all those years later? Right. I mean, it's it's like the Olympics. I mean, if you remember the Olympic stuff, I mean, if you're old enough to remember that you know, you used to not be able to play uh, NBA, for instance, guys couldn't play, in, you know, they couldn't play in the Olympics and then the dream team happened. And, you know, I think that was really the beginning of that end of that amateur ideal, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Yeah. I, that It's amazing how many years that has been that say the NBA players and the NHL players can play in the Olympics. But there was a time, you know, where some athletes had to give their medals back. Jim Thorpe, you know, being one way back in the early 1900s, probably one of the greatest all around athletes ever, you know, because of the professionalism aspect. So yeah, it, it is crazy that tennis had that rule at one time that you couldn't play in the slams once you turned pro. Another guy we lost this uh, past week was a, a former Texas. You don't call him former Texas Aggie. So he's a Texas Aggie <laughs> college football hall of famer. Charlie Kruger passed away at 82, went on to play 15 seasons for the 49ers, all pro defensive tackle. But let's go back to the Aggies where Boy, Stephen, listen to this. Two-time All-American under a guy named Bear Bryant. Perhaps you've heard of him. Uh, his Aggie teammates were Heisman Trophy winner John David Crow, pretty big name in Aggie history, future NFL All-Pro linebacker and Houston Oilers head coach Jack Pardee, and a future Aggies coach uh, Gene Stalling. So he was with some wow. really legendary people back, in, and he was his own guy, you know, just a, a college football Hall of Famer, like I said. Yeah, I remember the name, and, and certainly those names are big. I I'd actually got to interview John David Crow many, many years ago. Um, you know, pretty kind of interesting, but all those names, that you, you talk about going back a long, long way, but some of those names, you, you know, we forget how great they were. Gene Stallings. Bear Bryant, you know, a lot of people forget Bear Bryant did coach at Texas A&M before he went to Alabama. He, he's most known for Alabama, but around here, he's a Texas boy because so, he coached at A&M. When I was eight or nine years old, it was, I believe it was 1980, I went to the Cotton Bowl with my dad to see Baylor and Alabama play. And it was the Alabama Bear Bryant days and Baylor had a guy named Mike Singletary on their team. Oh, yes. And those, those two guys you know, fought it out in, in the cotton bowl, which was a big deal. My dad's a Baylor grad. So it was really amazing to look back. I still have my cotton bowl program, but to, to go, you know, know that I, I had gone to see bear Bryan and, and Singletary. And I've, you know, I've been a sports fan since uh, as long as I was five or four or whatever. I mean, I was already naming all the stats and everything as you, as you probably can figure. Oh, yeah. And I did the same thing when I was I think I was about nine when I really started keeping up with it. But yeah, and I think it was about a year, maybe a couple of years later after that Cotton Bowl is when Bear Bryant retired. And then, you know, he died only weeks after he announced his retirement. He didn't get to really enjoy it that much. Another guy that passed away this week was one of the oldest living MLB players, uh, somebody that 
I don't know how many people remember this guy. He he once managed an Astros farm team. That's about as Houston as I can connect it to. to but Wayne Terwilliger, 95 years old, hell of a life. Some of you might wonder, who is Wayne Terwilliger? Well, he was one of those Forrest Gump type you know, figures where he, he's connected to everything. He was on the Brooklyn Dodgers bench when Bobby Thompson hit his iconic home run. He hit a game-winning single off 47-year-old Satchel Page in 1953, was a backup middle infielder behind Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee Reese, was a teammate of Willie Mays, played against Stan Musial, Mickey Mantle, Al Kaline, Enos Slaughter, Warren Spahn, Harmon Killebrew. He was the third base coach for a Senators team managed by Ted Williams. And my major memory of him personally was he was the Twins' first base coach on those 87 and 91 World Series teams. Yeah, that's right. Wayne Terwilliger, I, I mean, there's a guy that I he might have been with every team in the major leagues at one point or another. You, you mentioned the, the Houston farm team. I, he was also with the Rangers the year that they came over, you know, from uh, the Washington Senators, of course, in 1972. He was part of that first Rangers team that first year in 1972. So, yeah, there's a name that I definitely recognize. And, wow, what a what a life just, you know, living into his 90s. But what a baseball life this guy had. And just, I mean, he was probably associated, whether directly or indirectly, with every big name in baseball over the last, you know, six, seven decades. It's, it's quite remarkable. We've also lost some really good sports journalists recently. NBA TV's Seku Smith, NFL.com's Chris Wessling just passed away. And just last night, Pedro Gomez from ESPN. And Stephen, I want to quote a couple of former Astros beat writers and former guests on the podcast, uh, Allison Footer and Jesus Ortiz, who also is a Latin baseball writer. So he has that connection with Pedro because of that. Ortiz said, quote, Pedro Gomez was a big brother, a mentor, an example of how to be a great journalist and even better father and husband. He took me under his belt in 1986 and kept an eye on me ever since. I love Pedro Gomez and my heart is broken. And then Allison Footer said, Pedro was the very best of all of us. Incredible person, supremely talented reporter, one of the kindest people I've ever known. He greeted you with a warm hug and exchange every single time. He knew everyone. This is absolutely gutting, Allison says. To say, well, Miss Pedro doesn't even begin to cover it. The world is a lesser place without him. And Stephen, you know, I, I went through on Twitter the remembrances of Pedro Gomez, and I, I think most of us remember him from the the Barry Bonds chase, and he was always covering Barry Bonds. But you, you, I read one thing after another, and and this is a guy that was just beloved in the industry. Yeah, he certainly was. I remember the name, and I remember Seku Smith as well. Um, so yeah, we're we're losing him in all aspects. Even uh, our jur fellow journalists are, are leaving us behind, Robert. You know, another Gomez uh, quote from a former guest on our show, Sam Khan, who worked for ESPN until recently said on Twitter about Gomez, he said, I had the chance to work with Pedro for Texas A&M signing day in 2013. Really friendly, consummate pro. We didn't cross paths much after that, but still kept in touch. A couple of months ago, he sent me a really kind text complimenting our Southwest Conference story. And just a few weeks ago, he reached out after I got laid off by ESPN. I really appreciated that. Thinking of his family, friends, and colleagues tonight. And that's the other thing that you get from all of this stuff, Stephen, is... This was somebody that 
was your champion. He would help you out. He would give you his Rolodex of, of names if you needed it. I mean, he's somebody that I think uh, is going to leave a legacy because other reporters say, hey, I, I treat people now in a certain way because Pedro Gomez treated people people like me a certain way. Well, and that's why, you know, I, I wish there were more people like Pedro Gomez because, boy, th- those were the people that I turned to if I needed a name or, you know, something like that. Is that they don't, you know, they, they didn't just think of themselves or even the people they were working for. They looked out, you know, they, they were friendly to their competitors as well. And I always tried to model that, you know, in the journalism business that I'm in, and I know you have as well, Robert, is you, you want to be you know, someone like that. And you want to draw from examples like Pedro Gomez, who just, as you said, just an all around great guy, helped his fellow, you know, fellow journalists when they needed help. So yeah, just quite a shock. And, you know, he was about my age, I believe. So uh, still very young. One thing I didn't know, I don't know if you knew this, he he had a kid that was playing minor league baseball in, in the Red Sox. It still is, obviously. No, I did not know that. His name's Rio, Rio Gomez. Rio Gomez. That, there's a good baseball name right there. Keep an eye out for him. <laughs> All right. Rio Ruiz. Remember the Astros had Rio Ruiz and he was part of the deal that got us Evan Gaddis. That's exactly right. Rio Ruiz. Not an, not an easy name to say, but uh, yeah, Rio Gomez. Uh, we definitely want to keep an eye on that name. Well, before we close things out in this one, just want to remind everybody, as always, give us your feedback or suggestions or questions or topics. Twitter, Facebook, email info at HoustonSportsDoc.net. You can get us in any of those ways. Love to hear from everybody. Uh, would appreciate uh, any sort of feedback if you, if you like what you're hearing. In the meantime, until our next show, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.